Matthew 6. So we've been working through Matthew a little bit at a time. Uh, one of the things uh, that we, uh, last week we looked at um, the Lord's Prayer. We've been slowing down a little bit in the Sermon on the Mount. We'll pick up a little bit once we get out of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, this theme that runs through the Sermon on the Mount, internals and externals, and how those two things are related to one another stereotype, but in general, the religious leaders of Jesus' day were focused on externals, and he's trying to get his disciples to focus on internals first. Look at heart first, and then allow that to work itself out in your behavior. This section we're going to look at today is on money and on worry, and there's that same theme is there, internals and externals. Everything that we're going to read, you can sum up. There's two commands that are negative, and they have a positive counterpart. Everything that we're going to read can fall under one of these two. Don't store up treasures in heaven. That's the negative, positive, uh, opposite of that. Store up, tre- excuse me, don't store up treasures on earth. Store up treasures in heaven. Then the second, don't worry. Seek first the kingdom of God. Everything that we're going to look at, you can fit under one of those two headings. And we're going to go through uh, a little section at a time. Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. And where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus' day, wealth was primarily metal, coins, or expensive cloth, which obviously would be subject to rust and moths. Uh, Houses were built out of mud with uh, straw, easy to dig a hole in that for a thief to get in and steal. What he's saying is, it's just not safe. Storing up treasures on earth, they're not safe here. Any of you who've lived through the last five years, you know they're not safe here either. Banks, real estate, stock market, it doesn't matter. None of those things are ultimately safe. And what Jesus is doing is he's tying our possessions to our heart. Again, you have this internal, external dynamic going on. Where you choose to put your stuff has an effect on your heart because where your stuff is, there your heart is. As well, it's interesting to me, I used to think that people gave according to where their heart was. Jesus says actually the opposite. Wherever your stuff is, your heart's going to kind of revolve around those things, which again makes sense. Some of you have money invested in the stock market, so you actually look at it. You want to know, is the Dow up? Is it down? Some of you are invested in particular companies, and so you look at those, you follow those companies. I don't have money in that particular company. It doesn't matter to me. I don't think about it. I don't look at it. It weighs on me. Not at all. It makes sense where our stuff is. That's where our hearts are going to be. And by heart, Jesus is is referring to the core of who we are, the center of our personality, mind, will, emotions, all of that, kind of who you are on the inside, your affections, if you like. Those things are going to revolve around where you put your stuff. And what he's saying is, if you put all your stuff here on earth, it's not safe. Your heart's going to revolve around that, and that insecurity is going to open the door to worry. You're going to get anxious, you're going to be stressed, you're going to worry because your stuff is here, therefore your heart is here, and your stuff isn't safe here. That opens the door to worry. You see how those things are connected. So what he says is you need to put your stuff in heaven where it is safe because then your heart will revolve around that and it's okay because that won't lead you to anxiety, that won't lead you to stress, that won't lead you to worry because everything is safe there. Moth, rust, thief, nothing can touch those things there. This is in Luke 12, a good, better example than what I can give you. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus said, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said, Watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed, 
A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That's what he's talking about hoarding here. Same thing here, storing up treasures on earth. That's, that's hoarding. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then I will store all my grains and my goods. That makes sense, right? It's a good businessman. I've got the, what am I going to do with this excess? And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. That's what they tell us. That's the dream, right? You save up enough so then you can retire and you can just take it easy. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. Or you could say this is how it will be for anyone who stores up treasures on earth and does not store up treasures In heaven, you see the picture there. Where your stuff is, your heart is. Stuff here isn't safe. That opens the door to worry and anxiety. And ultimately, you can't take it with you anyway. Even if you can keep it while you're here, you can't take it with you. So all this effort that you put into keeping it, it all goes for nothing. And you say, well, I can pass it on to my kids or my grandkids. Again, there's no guarantees for any of that. You want your heart circling If it's going to circle, if your heart's going to orbit something, you want it orbiting the things that matter to God, not necessarily the stuff here. Again, not talking necessarily, this is, I hate to make this distinction because we can justify anything. Jesus is talking particularly about greed, about hoarding, versus what I would say, saving. And again, we can all justify, oh, well, I'm not a hoarder, I'm just a saver. Uh, And that's where you need to begin to ask the Lord, what am I? Where am I really falling on that continuum? And hopefully as we move through this this morning, you'll be able to figure out what side of the line you're on. The lamp is the eye of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. If your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? This is just a Semitic way of saying, don't be stingy. Your eye was considered the window to your body. Light comes in through it. Having a good eye or a single eye, that was a way of saying being generous. Having a bad eye, that was a way of being stingy. And what Jesus is saying is that affects your whole heart. That affects all of you. Being stingy with your money or being generous with your money, that affects your heart. It's bigger than just that one issue. We've talked before, we can't compartmentalize our hearts. We have these different areas of our life, and sometimes it's helpful for us to look at our life kind of in those different segments. We have to recognize our heart is integrated, and what goes on in one section affects every other part of our heart as well. And that's what he's just saying here. If you're stingy with your money, it's going to have an adverse effect on you all the way around. If you're generous with your money, that has a positive effect on you all the way around. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. Most likely your Bible has money capitalized there. Money with the lowercase m, that's just a means of exchange. That's the that's the money in your wallet. Uh, we, it's a tool. It's a tool that you can use to store up treasures in heaven. It's a tool that you can use to uh, invest in what God is doing. It's a tool that you can use to put food on the table, to enjoy life. That's all it is, money with a lowercase m. That's what we want. For many of us, money becomes money with a capital M, which is a false god. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. Serving God or serving Money, some of you might have a translation that says mammon. Again, capitalizes this false God that promises things that only God can deliver. 
money promises status. The more you have, the more important you are, the more you're worth, literally, the more you're worth. Money promises happiness. Hey, if you, the more of this that you have, then you can buy the things that will make you happy, give you the good life. Money promises belonging. If you have this, you're going to be included. Money promises security. I can take care of you. The more of me that you have, you won't have to worry about your needs. Uh, there's a group that's called the Marist Institute. They did a pretty extensive survey to try to find the ideal salary. You know what it is? 70? Used to be. You know what it is? 50. The ideal salary. $50,000. It used to be 75. They went back and did the study again. 33% discount. $50,000 a year is what they consider the ideal salary based on, quali on people's uh, quality of life, their level of happiness. What they say is up to 50, there's, there, people do feel stress. Am I going to be able to pay my mortgage? There's that life stress that people feel about whether they can pay the bills. Once you get past 50, there's the stress of getting more, keeping what I have, what am I going to do with it? And they say 50, that's the number. That's the biggest payoff in terms of really feel, some of you are going, eh, it's not, not the number for me, but that's what they say. Listen to this. This is from a guy, um, this is not a, necessarily a Christian author. He's looked at several studies that measure uh, money and happiness and the correlation between the two. This is what he says. Does having more money make you happier? Yes. Having, having money frees you from the stress of not having money and wondering how you will pay for things in the past if you have debt, how you, how you will pay for things in the present and in the future. Being free of worrying about how you're going to pay for these things can add to your happiness. So the, again, there's some reality there. Uh, there's a billion people in the world who live on less than a dollar a day. It's, that's called grinding poverty. They have financial stress because they don't know literally where their next meal is going to come from. No, money does not add to your happiness. Listen, this is where more of us live. Money only relieves stress up to the level of covering your basic needs. Once basic needs are covered, no further happiness is gained. Additionally, having a lot of money can actually lead to further stress because you become worried about how to manage, preserve, and grow the money. There's that $50,000 number kind of supports that. It's enough money to take care of you, but not so much that you begin to obsess about it. There's something there about God and money and who we choose to serve and how money gets a hook in our heart. I'm talking about money with a capital M. And what we need to do is we need to be honest enough to recognize the, the position that money plays in our life, if it truly is competition with God for us. This is the story of the rich young ruler. You've heard this before. A guy comes up to Jesus, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Jesus says, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones? Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony. Honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. All these I've kept. What do I still lack? If you want to be perfect, remember we said that word in the Bible, perfect means mature, it means whole, it means complete. Sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. He said no. He was serving money with a capital M. Money was not a tool in his pocket. It was not something that 
that uh, he used. It was something that he served. And we want to make sure that for us, money is a tool. It's not something we serve. If it's something that we serve, that's idolatry. That's not good. And we've said before, in my estimation, in our culture, money is the number one competition to God in terms of idolatry because it uh, purports to provide so many things that God says he does. Again, security, identity, belonging, all of the joy, all of these things that God says, I can provide for you. Money says, so can I. And so we want to be careful about that. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? This paragraph, stereotype, speaking to men. It's an agrarian society. Men farm. That's what they do. That's how they contribute to their household. That's how they provide their needs. And what is he saying here? Birds don't do that. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't store. And God takes care of them. And you're worth more than a bird, right? If he cares for them lesser, he's going to care for you greater. And then he kind of gives the ultimate statement to a man very practically. What's worrying do for you anyway? It doesn't do anything. You can't add an hour to your... So why do it? It's a waste of your time. Some people say worrying, it's practical atheism. It's doubting God in the actual living of your life. So we don't need to do that. And the, Again, there's a connection between money and worry for many of us. My heart's where my stuff is. My stuff's on earth. It's not safe. That's going to open the door to worry. Also, if I'm serving money, that's going to open the door to worry for me as well. I'm putting my weight on money to take care of me. Not just take care of me physically, but for belonging, for status, for ident- all of those things. I begin to lay on top of money. It can't, it can't stand up to that pressure. It's going to fail. Money is a terrible taskmaster. If you've ever been in debt, you absolutely know money is not a good God to serve. God gives back, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, money literally takes out with interest. It takes out more than what you put in. Awful master to have to serve. That opens the door to anxiety and stress. And Jesus is saying, you don't have to do that. And what we say is, well, if I don't worry about it, if I'm not planning for it, then what am I, how am I supposed to take care of myself? And that's when he says, you know, don't, your father knows. He's got this. He takes care of the birds. He's going to take care of you as well. To the women, he says this. this. That was not a good statement leading into this. Why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. That's the female part. Women spun clothes. That's how they contributed to the household, by sewing, that type of thing. Yet I tell you, that sounds, that's sexist, isn't it? I'm just telling you how it was. This is not me. It's Jesus talking. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? He's speaking to His disciples. You of little faith. That is people who don't have as much faith as you would expect them to have. Remember, He's speaking to His people who are in a relationship with Him at this point. So don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for the pagans run after all these things. 
And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. When we looked at the Lord's Prayer last week, what does Jesus say leading into the Lord's Prayer? You don't have to babble. God already knows what you need before you even ask. Prayer is not informing Him. It's inviting Him in. What He's saying here to the women is the same thing that He said to the men. Guys, what you contribute to your house as farmers, that's great. God does this. He provides for the birds and they're not working as hard as you. Women, what you contribute to the house through your sewing and your spinning, that's great. The flowers are prettier than the clothes that you make. He takes care of them even though they're here today and burned tomorrow. Again, it's an argument from the lesser to the greater. If he takes care of birds and flowers, how much more is he going to take care of men and women who are his children? Notice what he tells them not to worry about are not trivial things. It's food and it's clothes. It's not a flat screen TV that he says don't worry about. It's, these are important. These are necessities that he's saying we can trust him with. And even as we begin to, you're thinking, can't, what does that look like? What am I supposed to do? Oftentimes, the way God provides for, for us is through work. That's, just, that's the way he provides. That's the normal way that God meets our needs is through employment. There are times where that's not the case. When I was in, um, right after we got married, I was 22, right after we graduated from college. And two weeks after we graduated, I, we moved to Kentucky. Uh, where I went to seminary. Seminary is graduate school for uh, people who want to work in a church, and it's, they're all private and they're expensive. Mine was probably 25 grand a year plus expenses. Uh, I couldn't work. I, actually, I worked one day a week as a youth pastor, which paid a ton of money for sure. And my wife, Misty, she just worked hourly where she could. She had multiple jobs over the course of our time. There are three years. And if you look, and we did, we never made enough money to cover our expenses, literally. We ne- it wasn't even in the ballpark. We were thousands of dollars short every year, and we never had to put anything on the credit card. God provided for us time after... I used to... I had a list of all of these ways that God provided. I actually got eaten by termites, so that goes to the moth <laughs> and the rust and all of those things. I had some journals in my office, and they all got eaten by termites. So from what I can recall during my three years... At seminary, I remember one time we, this youth group that I was a part of, we were going to go to Argentina on a mission trip. We didn't have the money. It was $1,800 a person. That's 36 for both of us. We didn't have it. But we were the leaders of the thing, and we felt like we needed to go. And so we prayed. And I remember coming home one night, and someone had shoved $100 bills through the slot in our door. It was enough to cover our trip. Kim makes fun of me because I always want to check the mail. And because when I was... When I was in seminary, that's where always good things came in the mail. To, my, to our house or to my student post office box, I would check it every day. And there were checks from people. There was money always there for us. We didn't make our needs known. It's just God took care of us. And some of it wasn't that money, it wasn't that we, we lived simply. We lived in a seven, no, it wasn't even that big, about a 500 square foot apartment, cinder block walls. It wasn't that we... We lived simply. It wasn't that God didn't provide for us to take a two-week European vacation during my three years of school. But there was always food on the table. We always paid our bills. I was always able to make tuition. We never went into debt. That's what it looks like. And that's, not to, that's nothing grand about us. It's just that's the reality of life in the kingdom. He says, if you'll seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, everything, all of these things, food, water, clothing, all of that stuff will be added to you, given to you. 
So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. That's this whole idea of daily bread that we talked about last week. Where do I need to trust God today? I'm going to, I'm going to trust Him for today, today, and we'll worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. There's enough stuff to believe Him for on Sunday. I don't need to import Monday back into that. On Monday, I can deal with Monday. Again, that's not saying that you don't plan. It's not saying that you don't prepare. It's just a recognition that says, I can't trust in any of this. Some of you, with all wonderful intentions and sound advice, you were prepared. And then the thing, the, the stock market crashed. And where are you now? It's daily trusting in him, which is not to say that you shouldn't have done those things. It's just to say we can't put the weight on our planning and on our preparation because we don't know. Nothing is safe here, and everything is safe with him. And so for us, I think the questions, it's, it's two pull-away questions for us. The first is what is your rich young ruler issue? What is the thing that competes with him? What is the thing that if he said, I want that, you'd say, price is too high. And you'd turn and walk away. For some of you, it's money. And I think it's money not because you're Ebenezer Scrooge and you're, taking a, you're laying on a bed $100 bills at night. It's not because you love money at all. I think for some of you, it's money because you grew up poor. And you said, I'm never going to be poor again. You grew up and you struggled and you said, my family is never going to struggle. And you made a vow in your heart. And what the enemy did was he took those circumstances and he took that statement of a 13, 14, 15-year-old kid who said, I will never be poor. I'm going to take care of myself. And he's made that into an idol in your heart. And you're tight-fisted, not because you enjoy money at all, but because you're so afraid of not having, because you've not had. And you said, I'm not doing that to my family. And so for some, that's, the, that's the one for some of you. Money brings you no pleasure at all. But it, it's a security blanket for you. And you need to recognize it's, that's a capital M. That's not a lowercase M. And you need to let us pray with you today that you would be willing to relinquish. I'm not saying you have to give it all away. You do whatever he says. But to get that hook out of your heart that the enemy is using and for, for others of you, it's not money at all. For some of you, it's your family. Jesus says you have to hate your father and your mother and your brother and your sister and your sons and your daughters more than him. We're not worthy to come after him. And for some of us, I'm not, it's not about putting your, it's not Abraham where you're taking your kid up to a mountain and you're going to kill him. But it's this recognition of priorities. Seek first. That's a priority statement. I recognize your rule and your reign in my life come before everything, even before my spouse, even before my children come your rule and your reign. So I'm going to, you're first for me. And kind of what that means. And for, Again, with the Israelites, when it came to giving, that's why they called it the first fruits. The first of everything that came in goes to God, not what's left over after you've taken care of yourself. That's not first fruits. That's not seeking first the kingdom. Seeking first the kingdom is, God, everything I have is yours. This paycheck is yours and this family is yours. What, what do you want to do here? I'm going to seek you first in those things. And for some of you, that's the one. If he says something that in your mind is going to compromise your family, you're walking, the price is too high, you're going to walk away. For some of you, it's your personal safety. He says we have to hate our life. Take up our cross daily. Follow him. That doesn't mean you have to go be a martyr, but 
there could be times where following him cost you something in terms of your safety physically. Some of you are looking at these mission trips, and that's what you're saying. That's not safe. Probably not, but that's irrelevant. If he's calling you to go, then you go, I'm looking back here at Josh and Mandy who are moving to Turkey. That's not safe. But it doesn't matter if it's obedient. If that's where he's calling them, then they have to go. And they've got to say, that's seeking your kingdom first. It means that's more important. And if he were to come to them and say, you're gonna ha- you've got to be willing to suffer for me. Is that the one that causes you to say, price is a bit too high? And you turn and you walk away. So what's your rich young ruler issue? What's the thing that if he said, I want that? For me, it's this. I'm living my dream in a lot of ways. And if he said, I want this, go do something else. That, that's a hard one for me. I don't know what it would be for you. Maybe if you're, not, if you're struggling, I don't know, maybe ask the question, what competes with him for providing your identity? Where can you find your identity other than him? That's a, that's a clue what an idol can be for you. What's competing with him in your life? Someplace else where you can try to find your identity. Second question, one, what is your rich young ruler issue? Second is what do you worry about? There's this slide. I don't know that this is psychologically accurate, but it was the best I could come up with. So there's this concern, which is, not, which is fine. And some of us are indifferent. College football, oh, I didn't even know there was a game yesterday. Then we care, and care is good. Jesus was motivated by compassion. Oh, I'm going to watch the game if I have time, or I'm going to check the scores when I wake up. Then we move. Worry and stress, and the difference between care and worry, in my estimation, is the introduction of anxiety into the mix. That's when you've crossed the line. You can care about something, and that's wonderful. Once you worry, that's a sin. Worry is a, results in a lack of trust in God, and, and the way you feel that is anxiety. That's the feeling that moves you from care to worry, and then from worry you move on to stress, and actually after stress there's just flat fear involved. And so my question is, what for you is on the right side of that continuum? What are the issues that, that you worry or stress about? What causes anxiety? Not what do you care about, that's good. You want to care. Jesus cared. He had compassion. He was moved with compassion. He wept. He was a passionate... So it's not that you can't care about anything. It's when does anxiety get injected into the mix? What are the issues that move you from just caring to worry, or then from worry on to stress? And again, it might not necessarily be because these are things that you love so much. Oftentimes it's rooted in fear. Again, that's an area where we're not trusting the Lord. And so what do you worry about? What keeps you awake? What wakes you up? What's on your mind when you get up in the morning? When you're driving to work and you're not having to think about anything, where does your mind begin to go? What causes your stomach to churn? What causes you to clench your fists or grit your teeth? Those, that's anxiety. Those are all physical symptoms of anxiety. And what's causing that for you? And we want to pray. The, the good, work, me saying worry is a sin is not meant to manipulate you or make you feel guilty. It's actually, I hope, good news. Because if it's a sin, then there's a solution. 
And it's Jesus. It's trusting Him. You don't have to say, well, I'm just a worry wart. I'm just a person. No, you're not. That's foreign. That's sin. That's something that's been injected into you. And maybe at a young age, but you don't have to live the rest of your life as a worrier. It's not how God created you to be. You're not going to worry after Jesus comes back, so you don't have to worry now either. There's freedom from that. Some of us have been in bondage to it for so long, we just say, well, that's who I am. No, it's not. You can't change your height. You're going to be 5'10". That's not a moral issue. Worrying is a moral issue. And you don't have to give in to that. It's not who you are is what I'm trying to say. There's freedom from that. Confess. This is where I worry. God, I want to trust you in this area of my life. There's going to be some practical things that come out of that. I don't know what they are. It depends on what your area of worry is. And he'll lead you in that. As an expression of trust in me, I want you to fill in the blank. For the rich and young ruler, it was sell everything. For Josh and Mandy, it's moved to the Middle East. I don't know what it is for you, but he'll lead you in the midst of that. So what's your rich young ruler issue? What do you worry about? Most likely, it's the same thing. Let's pray. God, my prayer for the men and women in this room, for all of us, is that we would live free. That the enemy would not be able to rob us of peace, of contentment, and of joy because we're anxious and worrying about many things. God, for some of us, it's money. It has a grip. We don't like it. It makes us feel dirty that money is so important to us. It makes us feel like we're not strong Christians. It makes us feel greedy. But that's a bottom line. That's what keeps us up at night. That's what causes stress. It's what we fight about with our spouses. It's what we think about. And God, we need freedom this morning. That you would deliver us from money with a capital M. That it could be money with a lowercase m. Just a tool that you've given to us to use however you want. For some of us, it's other things, God. But we want freedom this morning. And I pray particularly for those who wrestle uh, with fear. God, that you would deliver them this morning, that they would recognize that that's, that's, that's a scheme of the enemy to steal from them. And they don't have to give in to that anymore. And so I pray, Father, that you would send your spirit to bring healing into our hearts and to free us from the things that have chained us. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can stand. We're going to close with worship. We're going to have ministry teams up here in the front. And I want you to come forward and get prayer. What's your rich young ruler issue? Let us pray.